And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I've based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. If we could see the result of all that God does in every service where the Word of God is lifted and preached, we'd be dumbfounded and amazed at what God does. It's just not about uh, an attendance number on a board. How many people can you get coming faithfully to your church? The purpose of church is not for attendance. The purpose of church is for growth. But if we look in the mirror, we're not perfect either. And the truth is, again, you can't change the other person. You can't get them saved. You can't change their faults. But God can. But you can change your own faults through God's help. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, come to the end of what's best for you, Start doing what's best for the sake of the Savior. Welcome back to Sandy Creek Stirring. So glad to have you here on the podcast again for episode number 271. And uh, the podcast has been going here for now, let's see, almost three years, actually moving closer to four years, and we're excited about what we've been able to see. We're going to cut to the chase today, get past all the... Um, necessities of early podcasting and telling you how to email and doing all that. You you know the information. Go back and listen to the last episode if you missed that. Today, I am excited because I am joined by Dr. Jack Bachman. He is the president of the Lone Star Baptist College. Is it president or vice president? Brother? Vice president. Vice president. Vice president of the Lone Star Baptist College in Mesquite, Texas, as well as an assistant pastor there at the Parkside Baptist Church. Thank you for coming on today, Brother Bachman. I'm honored to do it. It's always a joy to be with you, Brother Josh. Well, I am very glad to have you. We did an interview episode what was it, two years ago now, I think it was? I believe so. And it was, let me, I'm pulling up the episode number. It was episode number 167. All right, so for the listeners, go back. If you missed that episode, hit pause right here. You can pick this one back up. And uh, we're not live, so it's recorded. You can go back and listen to this. But go back and listen to episode number 167. In that episode, Brother Bachman covered his salvation testimony, personal history, things of that sort. That was a really good episode. I want you to go back and listen to that just so you can get familiar with him and his story. Brother Bachman, how are things going at the college? 
Wonderful. We've been very excited to see what God is doing. We've had students from about 25 states and three different countries that have been uh, there at our uh, local college. And then God, uh, about two and a half years ago, led us to start some international colleges. We've had a lot of folks from around the country. Brother Wells used to travel a lot internationally, and so a lot of people were interested in coming to our college. But a lot of roadblocks that kept them from being able to do that with uh, visa approvals and uh, CFIS approval, uh, even COVID restrictions for a short time there. And then just the language barrier. Some spoke English as a second language, but uh, to have all of your outside reading and all of your reports and all of your classes and all of that sure. in English probably would have been a little overwhelming for them. So we were trying to figure out a way to facilitate them because they really wanted to come and train at Lone Star Baptist College. And so God uh, gave us the idea, let's take college to them. And so we partner with national pastors in different countries around the world. They already have a church. They already have people. They just don't have the material to be able to train them with. And most of these pastors have never really been trained themselves even. And so for us to be able to give these things to them. So we uh, pretty much give them our curriculum, just a, a turnkey curriculum already all set up. All of our curriculum is based on a syllabus. So every student has a syllabus for that course, and the teacher has a syllabus, and the review sheets and the tests are all included in those and so forth. And so we send that to them. They translate it into their own language and begin teaching it. And literally, sometimes in as little as 30 days from when we start interacting with these people, we vet them very clearly, make sure they're exactly like us and are going the same direction we are and doctrinally on board. But they use strictly our material instead of us just helping them start a college. It's truly an extension of Lone Star Baptist College because uh, an American degree is very sought after (laughs) and appreciated in other countries. And so they use strictly our material and uh, begin teaching, and in literally sometimes as little as 30 days will help them be up and started, and uh, they're teaching 20 or 30 or 40 students, and uh, now we have started 40 international colleges wow. in the last two and a half years around the world, and uh, in, in about, uh, I think about 29 or 30 countries, and we're just really excited about what God's doing through that. And so our ministry has expanded beyond the borders of Texas that is and uh, even the borders of America as far as students coming from, like I said, 25 states. And so now all around the world, they're getting the same training and teaching that we would give them if they came there. And the advantage also is they don't have to come. And so for that pastor, instead of him losing his cream of the crop people sure. for three or four years while they're gone training there, they're able to stay right there with him. He gets the advantage of learning and getting that information as well himself as he's translating it and teaching it to his people, and then he's building a team of workers around him, and so their their ministries are able to expand and grow, and it's just every, literally every day I get text or emails or WhatsApp or right. uh, pictures of what God is doing, and it's just exciting to see what God is doing. Our goal is 100 Bible colleges in 10 years. That would be about 10 a year. And we're obviously above that pace right now with 40 in about two and a half years. That's incredible. So we're excited about what God's doing through that ministry as well. That is really, really fascinating. Now you said that is, is that international? So that's outside of the United States? Yes, sir. So uh, like I said, about almost 30 countries now that we're in uh, all around the world. And so we're at 
hoping that continues to expand. Yes, sir. And uh, the vision God gave us initially was those hundred. If God takes it beyond that, praise the Lord. We just want to train as many people as we can in the days that we have left. And again, you take the concept of sending someone there, and certainly we are definitely for that. And we have right. students in our college that are taking missions, and yes, sir. we certainly hope that they'll not only go and plan a church, but that they'll be able to train others. But you take, let's say, a young man that's a junior in high school, and he goes off to summer camp and surrenders to the mission field at summer camp. He's got to finish high school, and he's got to finish four years of college, and he goes on deputation for three or four years. Then he finally goes to the field and takes some maybe language training when he gets there, and then establishes a church, and then grows the church to the point that maybe he'd be able to start a college. We're talking 10 or 15 years down the road, and in that same amount of time, we're going to have 100 colleges already training people. And so it's just exciting to see how quickly and how excited they are to receive the, the, the training and the teaching, the material, putting it into into action right away, and God's just blessed in a great way. And so it's called Lone Star Baptist College International, and we're just excited about what God's doing through that. That is really, really great. I, I love to hear that, and um, getting a an education, not just within your or your early life, you know, your typical education, but getting a biblical education, I mm-hmm. feel is so important. Uh, we talked about that in that last episode, one, yeah. episode number 167, why you thought Bible college was important. Yeah. I love to hear that vision. That's that's a big vision. 100, 100 Bible colleges in 10 years. That's that's a lot. Yes, that's uh, that's dreaming big for the Lord. Uh, you said a quote two nights ago. By the way, uh, for our listeners, you're here preaching our Christmas revival. Yes, and doing a great job with that. You preached a message the very first night of the revival, Manessa before Ephraim. And um, if you go to YouTube, you go to Victory Springs Independent Baptist Church, go to our YouTube page, you can find the Christmas revival there. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But you made a statement. You said, stop looking at the scrapbook of what you used to do for God and start making a dream book of what you're still planning to do for God. It sounds like you've got a pretty big dream book with 100 Bible colleges in 10 years. That's really exciting. Well, that's one of my dreams. I've got yes, a few sir. others in the, in the, in sure. the works too, but uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do. And I, quite honestly, it's been so neat to see because places I really never thought maybe we would be able to have a college Right, Vietnam. We've got a Bible wow. college in Vietnam, and I, they're pretty much underground churches. And the sure. pastor there, as I begin to communicate with him, he says, hey, if I can have an underground church, I can have an underground Bible college. I'm like, okay. That and they've incredible. got great faith and vision themselves, yeah. you know. Uh, Pakistan, and just places that I would have never imagined us be able to have a Bible college uh, where, where God is opening those doors, and it's just exciting to see what the Lord is going to do. That is amazing. That is amazing. So we have, we've had listeners and missionaries tune in from over 40 different countries across Amen. the world. And um, if they want to get in touch with you, maybe this is something they're interested in. How, how do they go about that? What's the contact they need to make? Do you have a website? They can go to our website, uh, lsbc4.me, and that's our college website, and they can contact me there. Sure. My personal email is j, the letter J, Bachman, B-A-C-H-M-A-N, at parksidebaptist.org, O-R-G, j Bachman at parksidebaptist.org. And I'd be more than honored to talk to them more sure. and send them some information uh, if they'd be interested in learning more about it. Yes, sir. That's great. I love to hear what the Lord is doing across the world with this. Amen. Coming back, you're, you're finishing up this fall semester of 2023. When does school start back up in the spring here locally, here at, not locally, uh, but within the Texas? The first week of January. I think it's January 2nd maybe is registration day, and then by that Thursday we're back into classes again. Sure. So. 
Yep, we uh, finish out the semester next Friday on the 15th, and then they're off for Christmas break for two weeks, and then we start back up the 1st of January. Yes, sir. Wow. That's, it stays busy. Stays it does. busy. Very busy. Well, let's let's uh, dive into a couple topics that I want to sure. want to discuss a little bit today. You deal with a lot because of um, because of the Bible College, but mm-hmm. also you've been an assistant pastor. You've been a pastor. Yeah, sure. um, how long were you an assistant pastor for? Or well, you're still an well, assistant. Well, I'm an assistant pastor again. Uh, I've been in the ministry for over 30 years, and uh, 10 of that I was a senior pastor. So the other 20 years, I've been an assistant somewhere sure. uh, working in different ministries. Okay, so with those years of ministry, you've you've dealt with and continue to deal with people who are single. Yeah. And um, sometimes in some churches, not all, but in some churches, that can almost be a left-behind group to a degree. Yeah. And... Um, and I know we have singles here at our church. We sure. see singles every church I go to. There are singles, and some of them are looking for stuff to do. Some of them aren't, and those are two different categories we'll talk about here yeah. in just a second. But you deal with a lot of single people. How do you help them? How do you guide them? How do you aid them? Uh, coming from a pastoral standpoint, an assistant pastor standpoint, a Bible college vice president standpoint— how do you lead them and help them into having not only a godly life currently where they're at in a single life, but also having a just a a good life, right? You know, I mean, yeah. you should be able to have a godly life as well as just having a life that you're enjoying and you're having substance in that life. How do you guide them and help them during this time where they are single? Well, that era of life is a very unique one and a very important one. And sometimes I think single people can get a little... Um, impatient during their single years. They can get a little off focus in their single years or a little too focused on, I just got to get married. Right. And so there's some things that uh, we try to do, um, and I try to encourage young people to do in their single years. First of all, use those days to develop a close walk with God. If God leads you at some point to get married and to have a family, it's going to be vitally important that you have a close relationship with God as a wife, as a husband, as a mother, as a father. And those days before you get married, before your schedule changes and before your focus changes and before your responsibilities change and all that, man, that's a great time to really focus on trying to develop And uh, as as young people come to us at college, I try to tell them this is not just about an education. When you come, certainly we want to give you an education and give you the the tools that you'll need to be able to serve the Lord in whatever capacity he would have. But it's also about a maturing, both emotionally and financially and all those ways, but also spiritually. And this is an important time. You're old enough now to get past some of the qualms that you have as a young person. (laughs) Yeah. And yet you're not into that realm of as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother. And so what a great opportunity to really buckle down and focus on your walk with God. And so that's vitally important for every person. And I think those single years, from the time that you're coming into the older years as a teenager into up until that time of marriage, great time to really stabilize that foundation. Sure. I tell young people this, God doesn't give you what you want, he gives you what you deserve. <laughs> and sometimes they want a spiritual mate, 
but they don't take time to become spiritual themselves. That's a good point. And so it's very vital for them to really focus on, hey, I want during these days, in preparation for what God has for me in the future, because I don't know what that is or when that is, I really want to lay a good, solid foundation of, of, of knowing God and knowing His Word and having a close walk with Him and preparing to be a great husband. Uh, the best way to become a great husband and a great wife is to become a great Christian. There's a lot of other details that go into being a husband and a wife and a mom sure. and a dad. But boy, if, if you can get established with God and be a good Christian, it's it's going to be a, a good portion of what you need to be able to become the right husband, the right wife. And so that's one aspect that I really try to push them towards. Hey, develop your walk with God. And sometimes they've never really had, up until this point, a true walk with God. They, right. They're not consistent in reading their Bible. They're not consistent in prayer. They've, they've sat in Sunday school classes, and they've gone to children's church, and they've gone to youth department, and they've heard stories. But as far as truly studying the Bible themselves, taking on those truths and those principles and those standards and those convictions for themselves personally, this is the time they need to get that established. And unfortunately, sometimes young people will go through their their uh, adolescent years just kind of conforming to their environment, right? but they don't take it in personally. And therefore, when they hit those single years now, they're out from under mom and dad's roof, and they're out from under uh, the youth department. They really don't have their own convictions, and that's when they start right. to drift. And so it's very vital that they take these on as their personal thing. So their walk with God is very important. The other thing I really try to point out to them is, hey, this is a time of your life maybe more than any other time, that you have the financial freedom and the schedule freedom to be able to serve God in a way that you're not going to have later. Yeah. And so get involved. We have a, what's called a young professionals class at our church. We have a college and career class. And for those that are in college, it's a Sunday school class that they can go to and they can be a part of. But we also have that young professionals class, because at some point, they're beyond the, the freshman <laughs> in college right. era, you know, and sure. they're still a little too immature for them. They, they're The people in these classes, they're, they're nurses, and they're police officers, and they own their own businesses, and but they're still single. And boy, we really focus that group on service. And so they go on missions trips, and they take on missions projects as a class. Sure. Hey, let's help this missionary accomplish this thing, and let's, let's go to the mission field together as a group, and they go and they serve together. Uh, different ministries that we have, different events that we host. We we do a, a huge egg hunt in the park every year for the community. Now, right. we do one at church on Easter Sunday for the kids that come on the buses and for the drive-in kids and so forth. Sure. But we do two or three parks sometimes in the community, and we have this big Easter egg hunt that we host, and it's completely free to the community. We advertise it, and they come, and we have them go through different different settings. They play a game over here, and they get snacks over here, and then we give them the gospel, and then they have the egg hunt at the end of that. And we'll have hundreds of people saved on that weekend of uh, folks that we do. And these are workers. Sure. These are folks that either don't have to work on that Saturday or can afford to take off work because they don't have the responsibilities of a family that they're paying for and tuition they're paying for for kids and all that kind of stuff. They're into the stage of their life. Uh, they're not working McDonald's anymore. Uh, they're they're not working a, a minimum wage job anymore. They, they've got a decent job. Oh, they might still have 
room to grow in their finances and so forth, but sure. we're trying to help them develop how to budget properly and how to use their finances. But they have the time, they still have the youth and the energy, they have the maturity that they can right. get out there and work and we're not having to make up for their mistakes sure. while they're out there doing stupid stuff. And so this is a great opportunity for them to focus on service for God. And so in that time frame, focus on your walk with God. Focus on your service for God. Paul, I believe, probably was a widower. It sure seems that he had been married at some point because some of the things that he writes in the Word of God. But he's to the point now maybe as a widowed man, that he is out there, he is busting it, buddy. I'm telling you, he every day he's hitting it, and he's traveling, and he's planting churches, and he's winning folks to Christ, and he's establishing people, and he's he's mentoring young men, and he understands. He understands, I could not do what I am currently doing in the level that I'm doing it, at the pace I'm doing it, with the intensity that I'm doing it, with the night and day and the 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 shipwrecks and the 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 passages that I have to go through, uh, spending time in jail. If I had a family to care for, right. and he addresses the the single crowd and he says, "Hey, if you're unmarried." It's not important that you seek to be married. Now, we know that being married is a wonderful thing. God says, you find a wife, you find a good thing. Right. It was the first thing that God established before there was a church, before there was a community, there was a home. Right. And God put Adam and Eve together and said, hey, I want you to cleave to your wife and be one flesh. We know it's a wonderful thing, and it certainly is a blessing to be married. And there's some aspects in the ministry I could not do if I wasn't married. And my wife has been such a help to me over the years in helping young girls when I was a youth pastor and helping college girls and as a pastor's wife when I pastored, being able to minister to our ladies and help me in counseling couples and so forth. Sure. But by the same token, Paul said, man— I've learned that in this stage of my life, though it maybe was a widow now instead of still single, never having been married, I can serve the Lord, and he uses this terminology, without distraction. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, that's really the era that they're in. They can go on a mission trip and not worry about their family back home. They can get involved in a ministry and maybe stay up late working to prepare for a special event and not feel guilty about, boy, I need to get home, get my kids to bed. This is a great opportunity for them to really focus their attention on both their walk with God and their service for God. And then the other thing I really try to stress to them is don't get impatient and don't settle. Well, I sure. just I feel the pressure. I need to be married. I mean, I'm, after all, I'm 26 years old. I'm I'm an old man. I'm an old <laughs> maid. And I, if I don't get married in the next year, it's probably just not going to happen. Right. Don't put yourself in that box. Don't put yourself in that category. And don't settle for just somebody. Wait for the right one. And uh, be patient in that. Let God lead you to the right one. Uh, Adam, I know he only had one to pick from, but even then, God brought. Eve to Adam sure, and said, hey, here's the one I've prepared for you. And instead of spending all your time on social media trying to find a wife, sure, let God bring one your way. Yeah. You get involved in walking with God and serving God and let God bring that person next to you. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And God's going to bring somebody on your path that's going the same direction you are, has the same heart for God, the same desires for God. And uh, we've had couples just recently uh, get married in our church in their 30s. We had a couple uh, just uh, last summer get married in their 40s. Never, wow. Neither one of them ever been married, but they waited patiently 
for the sure. right one, and God brought that right one to them, and they are so happy. And they're wow. so glad that they uh, talked to the man before. And he, he had those times that he was getting a little impatient. He was just willing for anything, wearing a dress that would show him attention. Maybe maybe I just need to settle for whoever. <laughs> and we talked about him a few times right. and uh, said, hey, let, let's wait for the right one. And boy, he is yeah. so happy he did. Sure. And now they are serving God together. And now they are that team. But during those years of being single, focus on walk with God. Focus on service for God. Prepare to become the mate that God would have you to be in the days that you can do it without distraction. Right. And that's so good. You know, you'll never regret waiting. You'll only regret yes. rushing into it. Yes, that's and, for sure. And um, let me ask you this. So we know that the Bible says it is good for a man not to be alone. Yes. And um, do you think, though, that the Bible does, or that God sometimes has people in certain situations where— Maybe they're not going to get married in their life, and maybe God has a different direction for their life that, hey, you, um, I know some late 40-year-olds, I know some 50-year-olds, some 60-year-olds who would like to be married, but God just hasn't brought that person into their life. Is it a matter of waiting, or is it a matter of being, you know, I'm going to be content right here where God has me, whether he brings that person or not, Absolutely. which is important. But Absolutely. And there are some that I know that have never been married. Uh, my great-grandmother got married to my great-grandfather when okay, she was... Okay, I was about to say, you said my great-grandmother. I was like, wait a second, she when, had to get married to some When point. <laughs> she was 80 years old. Wow. He had a, a wife, and she passed away, and uh, and she had never been married. And they got wow. married, and she was 80 years old okay. and married my great-grandfather. So she's yeah. not my, by, sure, okay. my blood <laughs> great-grandmother. Yes, sir. But uh, lived to be 100 years old, by the way, and wow. uh, but was a school teacher in a one-room schoolhouse, and uh, lived satisfied, fulfilled, serving others, serving God for all those years until God did bring someone her way. And there's some that, that die with never being married. And so be satisfied with what God has for you. And uh, don't, again, tell God oh, what you need right. and when you need it. Leave it up to God. And, and there's some that I believe never will be married. And, and again, we see great illustrations of, of missionaries, both men and ladies on the field that never were married, but God had something else for them in a single way to be able to do. So certainly be satisfied with whatever God's will is for your life, but don't push God into anything. Don't push yourself into anything. And uh, learn just to serve God with your life. And, and if that is God's will, let God do it in His way, in His timing, uh, without you having to, to veer off the path to try to find somebody. Let, let God handle that for sure. you. Yeah, sure. It was uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 who talked about being, um, you know, if you're unmarried, which you had mentioned before, if you're unmarried, hey, you have this ability to do some things that you couldn't do if you were married. Um, because, you know, people who are married care for the things of this world and stuff like right. that. It's interesting. Paul used that word, that word state there. That to, to remain in the state you're in. Right. And then he talks about later, I found whatsoever state I am, there with to, to be, be content. content. That's right. And uh, you can live a fulfilled life, a godly life now, whether you're married or not. And, and I certainly I know that. the context of it's not good for man to be alone is certainly talking about the matter of a mate. But another thing I really push single people to do is find other single people that are going the same direction you are. It's hard to That's serve good. alone. And, and in those single years, you can start to feel lonely. And it's important to develop good friendships of other good, independent, fundamental Baptist people that believe like you believe, have 
have a career, are, are trying to serve God with their life. And that's one of those purposes of that class I told you about, that young professionals sure. class. Yes, so they can say, hey, I'm not in this by myself. Because that's right. one of the things that you start to look at, that peer pressure. Everybody else is getting married, and all my friends are getting married. But they can go to a class that has 20 or 30 other young people in it that are are also single in that state of their life, in that era of their life. And they can develop friendships with them, and uh, and they don't feel alone then, and because they're involved in serving God together in those facets. And so sure. certainly it's not good for a man to be alone as far as a mate, but it's not good for a man to be alone as far as not having any friends either. Right. And so develop those good friendships, whether that be another guy or whether that be another girl uh, or uh, the opposite gender of what you are, but get yourself around some people so that two, the Bible says two are better than one. Sure. And that verse is not talking about just marriage. That's talking right. about, because he says, and threefold cord is not quickly broken. Sure. And so when you surround yourself with other people that are going the same direction, that will encourage you, it will, it will help you, and it will make you not feel alone. That is good. I love that. That is really, really good. So you've got this young professionals class. Uh-huh. These are people who are, who are single, they're driven, they're, they're doing things with their life. Let's step back to a, I think it's more of a minority than what some people want to admit. We want to, oh my goodness, I think all, no, I think it's more of a minority, but we do have, within most churches that I've seen, within most churches I've been, you can see them. They're the single people, but they have no direction. But beyond that, they have no drive. They just, they sit on the back row of life, metaphorically, and they just ho hum through life, and they don't—they—they have no drive to do anything for their future, for themselves, and not even for God. Right. So I'm going to push the the listeners out in the world out there, and I I I want you to help me with this, so the listeners can listen into our conversation on this one. How do I, as an assistant to the pastor where I'm at, how do I help those people who don't seem to have a direction, don't seem to have a drive? It's hard to get them motivated. Some of the typical things like, you know, hey, do more for God, it just doesn't seem to work for them. They're not getting it. Is there hope for them? How do you go about helping that type of person? Well, I think it's important for every person of every age and every state of mind to have a purpose. And sometimes in that era of life, they're they're still working just a job. And now again, maybe it's not a minimum wage job, but they're not building their own business. Sure. They're not fulfilling their life's dream of I've always wanted to be a nurse and now I'm a nurse. Right. I've always wanted to be a police officer and now I'm a police officer. And so they're not finding true fulfillment in their vocation or their profession. And so they feel kind of purposeless in that way that I don't have a family, I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband, I don't have children. I'm outside of my own home now as far as my parents and so forth. And so they don't have a focus. They don't have a purpose based on that. And it's different for every person. The purpose is not the same. The destiny, God's specific will is not the same for every person. So helping that person to find a purpose, something that they can put their energy and their time, their investment into— and for some, literally, that is, boy, they, they, clamp, they clamp onto this thing about missions and helping people on the other side of the world, whether sure. that be through something they can do here locally or them going to the field. And like I mentioned, we've had several uh, of our young professionals that will go on these missions trips, and sometimes just getting them there the first time is all it takes, and then they get bit by it a little bit, and they sure. want to go back again, or they want to go on another missions trip. Our missions pastor, Brother Denton Bell, 
Um, he uh, he's probably on the field more than he's back at church. <laughs> I think he's been on a total of seventeen mission trips this year. Wow! And uh, many of those he takes people with him because again, it's good for them to get out there on the field and and see it. But uh, for some, boy, that really speaks to them. Uh, for others, literally, even though they're a young professional, getting them involved on a bus route. Getting them involved in investing in another person. Again, what happens is, why we lose focus is we kind of get self-focused. If we're not fulfilling a dream, a destiny in our own life, then we just kind of sit and do nothing. And so finding somebody they can invest in. Uh, We've taken some of our young professionals and uh, had them coach a, a young boy's soccer team or a young boy's basketball team. Give them a purpose. Give them somebody they can invest in. They need to see, I not only can make a difference in somebody's life, I need to make a difference in somebody's life. And so for some, it's a, it's a person. Hey, would you, would you be a friend of this one individual over here? Uh, for some, it's a group of people. Get them to teach a, a, a class. Now, again, it's different. This is not a blanket answer. You can't say, sure. okay, so I'm going to take all my young professionals that are doing <laughs> nothing, sitting on the back row, make them Sunday school teachers. Well, then they might be Sunday school teachers doing nothing. Right. You've got to find for that person, what is the niche? What is the thing that makes them tick? Where is an area I can get them involved investing in somebody else? And when you do that, you get your focus off yourself and off your own life, and you have a purpose, because that's why God left us here. We came, Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for all. And these are people that have the opportunity to give their life. They're old enough. They've learned a few things yet. Oh, there's more things yet for them to learn. And so I might not be able to have them teach a couple's class because they're not even married. But they can invest in somebody. They can maybe help some young person not make some of the same mistakes they did. Or maybe start to develop early in some areas that they've learned. Some of these people, boy, they're good with money. They are developing their own business, and they, they, they have figured it out. Others, again, they're just working a job. Sure. Again, maybe they're up to 20 bucks an hour now instead of yeah. minimum wage. But it's not a destiny for them, and they need to find a purpose. They need to find something they can invest their life in. And so find that. If if they have an interest in sports, even if it's a local community team, get them involved in coaching that team and then trying to get some of those kids to church and try to invest in those lives. Maybe you don't have your own Christian school or your own uh, sports league or something like that. Still find a way for them to involve in the community, but use what they've learned as a Christian to help those young people. I've done a lot of traveling with police officers. I was a chaplain for a short time and had interest many years ago, as probably I mentioned on the first episode there, about uh, being a police officer at some point. And boy, I I rode with these guys, and, uh, you know, they're they're just dealing with the the putting out the the emotional and social fires every day, and it can get discouraged. They, They join the force because they want to make a difference, because they want to help their community because they wanted to see crime go down, because they wanted to make an impact. And then they're arresting the same people over and over and over again, going to the same (laughs) addresses every other night. Right. And it just feels like they're spinning their wheels. They get discouraged. 
And so I would tell them, I'd say, guys, you got to find an avenue outside of this. Yes, keep doing what you're doing. And I know you think it doesn't make an impact and it's not making any difference. For somebody, it is. And for somebody, you're going to be a lifesaver for them. And for some people, you're going to, you're going to turn the corner for them. And for some people, you're going to be a big blessing to them. But many of your calls, it's not going to be that way. You need to find a church. You need to find a community league. You need to find some young kids in the community that you can take under wing and mentor and help and see the progress of you investing in lives of other people. And so even though they had a career, sometimes they didn't feel fulfilled in that career because they didn't feel like they were making a difference. And so for every person, it's vital that you find something that you can invest in, people that you can invest in and make an impact and a difference in their life. And uh, it becomes your purpose and it becomes your drive. And we have seen that time and time again. Uh, We've got a a lady in our church, a single lady. Uh, She's probably in her early 30s, I would guess. And uh, a nurse, and she's a uh, an ICU nurse and loves it. And uh, she worked in an ER for a while, and she's worked in different floors of the hospital before, but she loves being an ICU nurse. Wow. Oh, boy, that's that's a difficult job. You yeah. know, you're talking about the most difficult cases, and a lot of those people don't make it. Sure. And so people that you've invested in for days or maybe weeks, and then they just they just die. Mm. And I've talked to her about it. I said, boy, I can't believe that you're, that you're, that you like, that's what you chose. And she goes, no, I, I really enjoy that. And so we've had some other young girls that have had desires to nurse and uh, have had interest in that as a profession. And so I've told them, I said, hey, you need to talk to her and you need to spend some time with her. And it's neat to see now as the girls get out of orchestra or they get out of teen choir or whatever, they'll go back and they'll sit with her. Sure. Those, these teen girls or just recently graduated girls, they'll go back and they'll sit with her and they're, and she's starting to invest in them and starting to pour her life into them. And she's making a difference. And she realizes, hey, this thing's not just good for me. I can help others with the same avenue that I've had. So again, it's it's each person find their niche find a way that they can invest their life, have a purpose in making a difference in somebody's life. Because quite honestly, things don't matter. Right. And us building a bank account, building a business, though you might find fulfillment in that, to what end? But if I can make an eternal difference, I can invest in a life, I can see people saved, I can, I can mentor somebody, then that's a purpose. And so for, for those people, sometimes it takes a little bit of work and ingenuity figuring out where their niche is, but find a place they can invest in and a purpose that they can take hold of outside of their career. Because really, that's kind of all they got. Sure. They're out of mom and dad's house. They don't have their own family yet. So church and their job is it. So find a place in church they can get involved or even in the community, but then tie it to their walk with God in their Christian life and helping other people eternally. Wow. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. They do need a purpose, that's for sure. So, single life, uh, I wanted to talk about that today. That's mm-hmm. something I hadn't really talked about on the podcast. And then I wanted to talk about something as well that I know you have experience with, and that is um, being an assistant pastor. You're yes, one sir. currently. Yes, uh, you've been one for some uh, for a fair amount of time. And I wanted to talk about that today. For the listeners, we did an episode, episode number 84, What is an Assistant to the Pastor? If you say, I don't even know what that is, go back and listen to that episode. We dived in depth on what is an assistant pastor, what do they do? Um but I, I know for a, for a fact, because I've talked to some people who listen to this podcast, and they are assistant pastors in churches, and uh, they work and serve along with their pastors. 
what do you think, having been an assistant pastor, and then we're going to kind of flip the side in a little bit, because not only have you been an assistant pastor, you've been a senior pastor, so you've you've yeah. sat on the other side of the conference table as That's well. True. And uh, so from the assistant pastor side, what is something you think that assistant pastors could do that are that are practical ways to be a better assistant to their pastor? Well, let me be very categorical, and we'll get more specific. Sure. The key ingredient, be a servant. That's what you're there for. The word right. assistant, what's it there for? <laughs> to assist. Right. That's your job. And so don't have your own agenda. Don't have your own plan. Now, again, I think you ought to plan and prepare and whatever responsibilities you're handed, do it. But be fluid. Boy, my dad used to say, the greatest ability is dependability, and the second is flexibility. (laughs) And you're going to wear a lot of hats. I'm sorry, but there are very few churches in America that you're going to get hired, (laughs) and this is your one job. That's all we need to do, just this one thing. Uh, No, you're going to have to do everything. I don't know anywhere like that. That's right. And so (laughs) even big churches, you're going to have multiple, multiple different areas that you serve in. And even within the time frame, the era that you're serving in that church, those responsibilities might change. And the pastor might come to you and say, okay, I need you to do this too, (laughs) or I need you to do this instead. And you just got to be fluid. You're there to assist the pastor. And by the way, don't don't take that as a bad thing. The the advantage of the assistant pastor is you're not the pastor. And so the butt does not stop at your desk. (laughs) And so, hey, it's a wonderful thing to just be the second man (laughs) uh, because the the, the pressure of of, uh, everything else kind of comes off you. But hey, be, be flexible. Be a servant and be flexible. You're there to assist the pastor. And so if you come in and he hires you to be the, the youth pastor and the music pastor and the children's director, whatever he hands you, say, okay. And I will tell you that over the years of being an assistant pastor, I have filled every role. Uh, <laughs> right. My closet has every hat that you could imagine that's, sure. that's been in it at some point, and usually multiple hats that I wear. And even now, though I have a main ministry of the college and running the college, I have multiple things within the church that I assist in. And again, those things change. And I have seen that time and time again in my own life and in other assistant pastors' lives where the pastor calls them in and says, hey, uh, you've been doing this for a while. I need to change gears. This is what I need you to take on. And you got to be willing to take off that hat, take off that coat, put on the new one, and dive into it. And uh, it's tough when you have put in years uh, of investment into a certain group of people or into a certain ministry to all of a sudden that's now pulled from you and you're shifted to something else. Uh, but you're there to assist. You're there to be a servant. You're there to help the pastor. And you got to trust the pastor's overall view. Sure. And don't get so self-focused on this is my ministry. Well, first of all, it's not your ministry. You're there to assist the pastor. If the pastor could handle it himself, he would, but he can only spread himself so thin. So he's called you in to take on part of the ministry in his place, but it's not your ministry. Don't go. Don't get possessive of a ministry. Don't get possessive of a people. And knowing that your ministries might change, knowing that your responsibilities might change, your real job is to attach them, number one, to God, because that's never going to change. Right. And number two, attach them to the pastor. Let's say you're the youth pastor, and you only attach them to you. Well, then when they get out of the youth ministry, they have no attachment to the church, because you're not their youth pastor anymore. But if you've attached them to the pastor as well, then when they translate out of, they transfer out of the youth ministry, 
they still have somebody that they've been attached to. So number one job, no matter what ministry you have, is attach people to God. He's a God that doesn't change. He's a God that will not disappoint. If they have to move, if they have to transfer to a different town, if they're attached to God, you've done your job. So attach people to God and then attach people to the pastor as an assistant. Push people to the pastor. Encourage people about the pastor. Lift up the pastor, and uh, and you'll get some loyalty along the way as you do that. But that's your job, and uh, and then make sure that you're investing in people. Uh, if if God leads you to a different area of ministry within that same church or lead you to another ministry. Uh, again, you are a servant to the pastor, but most of all, you're a servant to God. And you've got to be fluid enough to say, if God changes my direction, as you mentioned, I've been an assistant pastor, I've been a pastor, I've been a, a school administrator, I've been a school principal, I've been a bus director, I've been a Sunday school superintendent, I've been the youth pastor, I've been the music pastor, I've built the buildings and maintenance coordinator, I've been the janitor, I've done taught in the high school, I have run public school Bible clubs, I have done pretty much anything you can imagine, and uh, started Bible colleges and ran Bible colleges. And you would ask me 30 years ago, what's going to be on your docket? I had no idea. Right. But when you're fully surrendered to the Lord, it doesn't matter. Sure. And if God called me to the mission field tomorrow, I would go. If God called me into evangelism, I would go. Now, those are things that right now I don't foresee, or I really don't even have the desire for. But when God calls you to that, he will both give you the ability, and he'll give you the desire to fulfill it. So just stay fully surrendered to God. And in that, it's really kind of fully surrendered to the pastor, to whatever you need. I'm here to assist. I'm here to help you. And if you feel at this time I'd be better suited to fulfill this area, then I'm going to do that. And then what area you've been given, try to become an expert in that. Now, by that, I'm not saying the all authority. The pastor is still the authority. But man, put in the time, put in the effort to learn. Just don't say, well, this is another thing he threw on my plate, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna clock in and clock out and get it done. Hey, he gave you that on purpose, and so, uh, so do your best to learn. Do your best to grow. Read. Talk to other guys that are doing it and doing it successfully. I remember my first. Uh, um, I worked for a two, did a two-year internship with Dr. Larry Brown in Iowa. Then I came back to Indiana and worked with Dr. Mike Holloway. And in my first staff meeting. Literally doesn't even have all my boxes unpacked at my house yet. My first staff meeting, he hired me to be the youth and music guy. I said, okay, I've trained for that. No problem. I'll come do that. In my first staff meeting, he said, by the way, those are always scary words when the pastor says, <laughs> by the way, by the way, the principal left last week. I need you to take on being the principal of the school too, not in, a, not in place of. I had no training in being a principal. Right. I had no experience in being a principal. Quite honestly, had no desire to be a principal, <laughs> but that's what the pastor needed, and that's sure. what the pastor wanted. I said, yes, sir. Now, uh, day one, I had zero experience, but I knew guys that had experience. And day one, I'd never done it before, but other people have done it before. So, man, I got on the phone, and I read books, and I talked to guys, and I said, man, what have you done that's worked? And what have you done that's not worked? And uh, learn. Become an expert in that field. When the pastor hands you a responsibility, don't take it lightly. Decide, hey, even if I've never done this before, I'm going to learn how to do it, and I'm going to learn how to do it to the best of my ability. And uh, then then do that, and give it all you've got. And so I think that's vitally important. Stay dependable, 
Never let the pastor hand you something and it fall through the cracks. Uh, find a way to get it done. If that means get up earlier, stay up later, find a way to get it done. Stay dependable and then stay flexible. Whatever the pastor hands to you, smile. Even if you've got a big question mark in your head saying, I don't know how I'm going to do that, figure it out. But say, yeah, I'll be willing to do that. And whatever the pastor has for you, stay flexible in that way. Um, and again, don't don't be possessive of anything that he gives to you, but do it with the best of your ability. Sure. And then last of all, stay balanced. Uh, early in my years of ministry, boy, I, I wanted to please the pastor, and that's the right right spirit to have. And I got up early, and I stayed up late, and man, I burnt the candle at both ends, and I just did every—I was so stupid, I'd even raise my hand in the staff meeting and say, hey, I have another idea. And he'd say, great, do that. That's <laughs> 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 so what I was I'd doing all his ideas, I was doing all my ideas, sure. too. Right. Uh, and that's, that's good. That's good spirit to have. However, you got to stay balanced. You do still have a wife. You do still have yeah. kids. You do still have a family. And so make sure that you stay very balanced in covering all your responsibilities. Don't pour yourself so much into one area that you'll let other things fall through the cracks. Right. Because I have a responsibility to add to now my responsibility as a husband, my responsibility as a father, my responsibility as a Christian. And so make sure that you keep all the bases covered. And then, this is the hard one, but be honest with the pastor. If it gets to the point, even though you don't want it to, that you're 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 drowning, and you're not able to do something to the full ability. Instead of just muddling through it and making a mess of it, that's going to be a bigger thing for him to have to go back and fix. Then you being honest and saying, "I really cannot add that to my plate right now," and I'd be willing to, but I'm going to have to make adjustments somewhere else. And sit down with them and figure it out. Because sometimes in our eagerness and our desire and our, our, our fervency, which is all wonderful, we just push ourselves to the point that now we're not doing anything well because we got too many things on our plate. And so be honest with the pastor, and he'll respect that. And maybe he'll have to say, okay, then let's pull back in this area, or let's take this other thing from me because I really do need you to do this right now. And then go back to that being flexible right. thing. But be honest with him. And uh, don't be lazy. Don't don't go to them and say, oh, that's too much when you're getting up at nine. Right. That's not too much. Or you're going to bed <laughs> at nine. That, then that's sure. not too much. Uh, you got three days off. Oh, then that's not too much. Don't be lazy, but be honest. And if you're drowning, let him know. And, and he cares about you. Right. And he's not trying to overload you, but he doesn't know. Sometimes if he's overloading, you're not. He doesn't have that insight or that discernment to know emotionally or time schedule or physically what's too much for you. So be honest with him and just let him know what you can take on. If you can take on more, let him know. He'll gladly hand you something. Yes, sir. And if not, let him know that too and be honest with him. That's good. I love all that. That is really good stuff. Good reminders for me because uh, I'm serving in the same role right now and uh, I need to be reminded of that. You mentioned something yesterday at lunch, and um, I'm always listening, and I'm grabbing ideas and grabbing this and that. You mentioned something at lunch yesterday, and um, something I think that's important for assistant pastors to remember is not only is he your boss, because career-wise, in that sense, he is your boss, but he's also just the same as any other member. He's still your pastor just as much. And something you need to do is, is make sure just as you want other members to do, you need to love on your pastor and, and, and care for him in that way. You mentioned something you do for your pastor 
very, very practical. And um, it's this idea of latching on to something that, you know, your pastor likes this. I can love on him through this direction. But you go above and beyond to where you even keep a list. Can you can you share that with us so I can get that to uh, some other people who are listening yeah. today? Well, you know, it's hard sometimes to think of ideas uh, at Christmas time, at birthday time, anniversary time of gifts that you can give the pastor. You know, you can only give him so many of his favorite candy bars. He's already right. getting a bunch of those. And <laughs> I want to do something that I know he appreciates and I know that he'll uh, see that I care and I put thought into it. And it's not something that everybody else is going to do. Our pastor is a reader. He loves to read. And I found out Categorically, he really loves U.S. history books, he really loves leadership books, and he really loves old books, okay. old uh, Christians of old that wrote books. And so those are three categories I know that he really enjoys. Now, I think he'll probably about read anything, but those sure. are three areas he really does. And so I, I, I pestered him, quite honestly, and nagged him for a while. I said, hey, I need a master list of all the leadership books you already have. I don't want to buy you a book you don't already have, right. or that you already have. And uh, But if, if you have a, if you can give me a master list of these leadership books you do have, and then the same about maybe some of these old volumes of uh, Charles Spurgeon and different ones that uh, maybe you have books of already. He loves autobiographies and biographies as well. And so uh, give me a kind of a list of what you already have. And uh, and then uh, I've done that in those categories. And then I keep a master list on my computer. And then I know what books he already has. And then I, I go through, we have a books a million down the street from us and other places that I go and I'll find books or I just kind of keep my eye open. And when I find a good deal on a book, I don't wait for Christmas. I don't wait for his birthday. I don't wait for an anniversary. When I find a good book that I think would be in the genre of something he would like that he doesn't have, I buy it and I put it in my office. And I just keep it there. And so uh, right now I've got, don't tell him now, don't tell him. But I, <laughs> I've probably already got three or four books in my closet right now uh, that when Christmas comes around, I'll give him a book or two and his birthday comes around, anniversary comes around. So I'm always looking for those books because I know that's something that he really enjoys. And I've been able to kind of build up his library over the years of books that he really appreciates and really enjoys. And so uh, I keep that master list. And then when I buy it, I, I, change the X from one that he doesn't have to one that he now does have, because I gave it to him. Sure. And then I just kind of keep a, a stock of those. And so that way I've got something that I can get to him uh, when he when he was wanting right. uh, a good book. That's great. I love the little nuggets like that that sometimes people say, and I just kind of latch on to them because they're easy ideas. I really do enjoy those tips. All right. What a, what a wonderful podcast this has been so far. I want to cover one more topic and then I want to get you to lunch. Uh, we'll All have right. a nice light lunch. We, uh, we went to a, we started off for a light lunch yesterday and ended up at a rib company. And uh, <laughs> so I told Brother Bachman for a light lunch today, we'll take you to a buffet. And, uh, but anyway, we'll try and get a, a lunch in here in just a little bit. I want to ask you one final question, then we'll kind of move on. This is going to be particular okay. to, uh, to a category. All right. To my category, but I know it's something that you've done before as well. And um, being an assistant pastor is one thing, but then being an assistant pastor to your father, yes, it's it's similar, mm -hmm. but it definitely presents some different things that you have to maneuver um, in different ways you handle yourself. What kind of challenges do you think being an assistant pastor to your father presents compared to just being an assistant to the pastor? Well, there are some challenges, but there's also some blessings. Sure, yes. Come along Don't with forget it. that. 
And uh, God gave me the privilege in my years of growing up of being an unpaid, unnamed assistant pastor (laughs) in a smaller church where (laughs) our family was pretty much doing everything, you know. We were the janitors, and we were the lawn mowers, and we were the baptistry cleaners, and we were the... uh, hymnal organizers, and we were the sure. children's church directors, and we were the van route leaders, and uh, we did vacation Bible school workers. Uh, we didn't get paid. We didn't have a title. We didn't definitely have an office, but we did that for many years. But it developed in me a desire to serve with my dad and to uh, be a blessing and uh, to be involved in that way. And so when God opened the opportunity later on in my years of ministry to come back and be an assistant pastor to my dad, it was a, it was a joy and a privilege, because this time I did get an office there and a, a small paycheck. And, uh, but, uh, uh, and so it was a great joy. Well, all those things we talked about earlier about an assistant pastor, those all still have to still be on point because it's still you're an assistant to the pastor so sure. that dependability that flexibility that non-possessiveness all of those things are important i think though when it's your dad there's some things that you have to keep in mind number 1 don't take advantage of the fact that he's your dad remember you're you're still an employee remember you're still the assistant pastor right don't expect to get extra grace because well it's your dad uh, don't expect that you can cut out early because it's your dad. Uh, if anything, what I, in my life, and in, in my years of being an assistant pastor to my dad, I probably served harder and more diligently because it was my dad. And I didn't want to ever have the people have the opportunity to say, well, he didn't do such and such because it's his dad, or he, he didn't put in as much effort because it's his dad, or he won't get in trouble because it's his dad. I wanted to I want to make sure my testimony to them and to my father. And I think within the heart of a good son is not now I'm not just pleasing a boss. I'm gonna go above and beyond even what I would do for a boss. And I've tried in every job I've had, secular and ministry wise, to always give 110% effort. But with my dad it wasn't even 110, it was 150, you know, sure. because I wanted to please him not just as my boss, not just as my pastor, but as my dad. And so I think there's maybe even a little more drive in that aspect. I think one thing, though, is to remember that he's still your boss, and he's still your dad, but he's also still your pastor, and we talked about that a little right. bit. And so still honor him as your pastor and refer to him as your pastor and and uh, and push others to him as the pastor and go to him with counseling things as the pastor. Don't be so afraid that, well, I don't want to disappoint him as an assistant pastor. I don't want to disappoint him as my son. That if you're having a problem in your marriage, in your child rearing, in your finances, in your ministry, that you won't go to him as a as a member and say, hey, pastor, right. <laughs> I need some help. Sure. Will you give me some direction here? And don't cut that aspect out because, well, he's my dad and I, I feel uncomfortable. Uh, he knows you better than he knows his other members, and he's probably going to be able to help you more. He has more of a love for you, though I know he loves all of his members. He has more of a love sure. for you as his son than he does the other members, too. And so so don't don't cut out that aspect of allowing him to be your pastor and giving you guidance and giving you counsel and giving you direction as your, as your dad, as your pastor, as your boss in all three of those categories. And then 
I know for some, and these are the kind of church members, it doesn't matter what you do and how hard you work at it, but there will be some that, you know, that will, in their, at least in their head and their heart, if not vocally say, well, nepotism, nepotism. Oh, he my only goodness. Got that. I am so glad you're bringing this he up. He only got that because he's the son. I had he, this written down right here for no us to way. cover. I did. I literally uh, just had on a computer screen. I was going to read a definition of nepotism and talk yeah. about this. Go ahead, brother. Well, and so there will be some. <laughs> and again, usually these are people that are critical anyway. Right. And so it maybe didn't have anything to do with something you did, might not have been anything that your pastor did, it might have been just because they're, they've got a critical spirit, or, and I'm going to give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt on this, because sometimes they have, even in their own business, in their own secular job, seen true nepotism, where this person had no experience, right? No, no reason at all to be in this position that they were, but simply because of who they were, or who they were married to, or who their dad was, or whatever the case was, they got a position simply based on that. And, that, and I don't think that's fair. But when a, when a pastor, when a dad brings on his son, I usually believe it's not for nepotism's sake. I can tell you, as you mentioned, from the other side of the desk, as being a pastor, it's important for a pastor to know that that assistant pastor is on the same page with him. And it's so helpful and so beneficial and so efficient when we have the same mind. That's one of the neat things that I've got with my job now, too. I've known Brother Wells for over 25 years, and we've traveled together while I was still a pastor and he was still in evangelism. We traveled together and preached overseas in the Philippines and different places, and and he would come to my church and preach as an an evangelist at my church. And uh, so we got to know each other on that realm, and boy, on those long flights all the way over to the Philippines for 17 hours, we're sitting and talking, and we'd get together for breakfast and talk, and as we talked and as we shared I would say, wow, I thought I was the only guy that believed that. And I I thought I was the only guy that thought that way. And we saw how much on the same page we were. And boy, I'll tell you, that has been such a help and such a blessing as now we work together in the ministry because we have the same mind. Well, I think quite honestly, a son probably knows the mind of his dad better than any other man he's going to go work for. He's been raised that way. He's used to that ministry. He, he's watched Dad handle these circumstances before. And so it's a big advantage and a big help. And so from the pastor's point of view, man, if I can hire somebody that already thinks like me, that already knows me, that already knows really what I desire, that's going to be a whole lot easier on me as a pastor. And so don't throw the pastor on the bus, oh, he hired his son just because it's his son. Sure. That might have been the smartest move he ever made. And can I also say... It's a great compliment to him as a dad to be able to have raised a son in such a way that he would consider hiring him. Right. Because, hey, here's a young man that I believe spiritually has the maturity to take on some of these responsibilities. And so, uh, again, sometimes nepotism is thrown out there because they have seen that in in a misused way, whether it be secularly or in ministries, because unfortunately that does happen from time to time. Or they just got a critical spirit. But never feed their their look for the opportunity sure. of nepotism by you doing those things we talked about as an assistant pastor. Hey, I'm going to be dependable. I'm going to be hardworking. 
Uh, my dad's going to be able to count on me in this, and I'm going to serve him not just because he's my dad. I'm going to serve him because he's the pastor. I'm going to respect him in that way. I'm never going to show disrespect to him in any way. There's never going to be a division. People are never going to be able to look and see, well, I'm maybe trying to go a little different direction than dad does, or I'm trying to do it my own way. I'm going to have that unified front. And I'm going to be flexible, do anything my dad asked me to do. And uh, if, you'll, if you'll treat it like it's supposed to be done, uh, you'll at least remove the true reasons why people might cry nepotism. But if they do, understand maybe they have seen that, and so that's all they anticipate. Or maybe they just have a critical spirit. No matter how good you do of a job at trying to not be that way, that's just going to be their attitude. Sure. That's good. That's good. Um one last question. This one won't take long, and then we'll sure. be finished up. I had I talked to you on a personal level mm-hmm. about this idea of nepotism and being an assistant pastor to your dad um, at lunch. I think it was last year. And um, how does you you see a need that if you were an assistant to the pastor, or assistant pastor at a different church, you would just get up and say, "Hey, we need to handle this for our pastor," but because it's your father. Yeah. You take a second and you're like, wait, you know, because I can't, I obviously have more of an inroad right. with him because I, I'm I'm around him more. I know him more. Absolutely. He's my father, not just my pastor. You had given me, for handling like pastor appreciation or, hey, I see this yeah. need, let's handle this. You had given me some advice for, hey, funnel it this way and it'll come across better to the people. Do you remember what you told me? So uh, when I was an assistant pastor for my dad. Obviously, I would have ideas sure. of things we could do for him, or uh, I would see him kind of behind closed doors a little bit, know when maybe the burden was a little heavier on him. Right. He could put on the good front for the people, and uh, he never just went and wept in my office or anything, sure. but by the same token, I, I could feel and read his heart and his mind sometimes and knew when he, maybe he needed a little extra encouragement. And some areas I was able to just do that personally behind the scenes and be the one to come along and say, hey, we're going to make it. It's going to be all right. What can I do to help? Where can I jump in? Uh, Other times I needed to lead some other people to do that. And so sometimes as a youth pastor, I could say, hey, teenagers, let's do something special for the preacher this week. And I was able to do it in that way. But as a church-wide thing, especially if you're the only assistant pastor, right? and we didn't even get into it, but there's a whole different avenue of if I'm the assistant pastor to my dad and I'm the only assistant pastor as if I'm an, an assistant pastor to my dad and there's other assistants. Because sure. then there can, then you got to really be careful about not allowing there to be a jealousy uh, amongst the other assistant pastors, oh, or, oh, it sure seems that you're getting the benefit on this end, or you're getting the lighter job, and I'm getting the, the bad stuff. And, right. And so you got to really kind of be careful about how you interact with those other assistant pastors and keeping it even across the board. And the pastor needs to do that, too, if he has one of his staff members as a as a a son or as a daughter even working for him to make sure that there's a, a, a consistent evenness of his appreciation and how he bears out the load to people and so forth, how he deals with the problems. But as an assistant pastor that's a, a son to the pastor, I've tried to filter it either through another assistant pastor. Hey, would you be able to present this? Hey, would you be able to give this? Hey, would you be able to maybe send this idea out to the church members, and that way it's not coming from me. And uh, I've had a good relationship with other assistant pastors that I've been able to do that. Maybe there's not other staff members, or that's not the route that it needs to go. Get in with the with one of the deacons. 
uh, the chairman of the deacon board or one of the, the leaders of the church. Maybe he's not even a deacon, but just a guy that is respected by the people of the church, a, a veteran church member that's been there a long time, sure. uh, that has the hearts of the people, and go to him privately and say, hey, here's an idea I had. What do you think about? Bounce it off of him. In some ways, you can almost make him think it was his idea right. if you do it the right way <laughs> and uh, and say, man, I, I think that really would be good after he agrees with you. Sure. I think that really would be good. Man, you ought to, maybe you ought to present that to the deacons right. and see what they think about that. And that way you're kind of doing it through the back door. And it's not that it's an awkward thing for your dad or for you to be the one always coming up with the idea of what we need to do to the pastor or what we can do to encourage the pastor. Either do it through a group your youth department, a Sunday school class, something like that, or do it through some of the men of the church and let them kind of take that on as their idea, take that on as their project. You can kind of do the behind-the-scenes figuring and the behind-the-scenes planning, but let them kind of be the head or the mouthpiece of it. Yeah, that's great. And I can tell you from the past year of using that advice you gave me, it works. It works. So I praise the Lord for it. So, well, Brother Bachman, thank you so much for coming on today. I sure appreciate you, your testimony, what you stand for, and for being willing to record this podcast today. It's been my joy. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. We um, Merry Christmas to you. It is the Christmas season. We're going to play a Christmas song for you today. Today we're going to play the song Beautiful Star of Bethlehem, and this is from a CD entitled Titled, oh, Holy Night, Piano Solos by Caleb Galvin. Again, that's Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. You can buy that CD at NV, stands for North Valley, nvpublications.org. You can go there, add that CD to your collection. We do use this with permission from North Valley Publications. This is Beautiful Star of Bethlehem, and Merry Christmas to you and yours. We will catch you next time. Keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.